Hey everybody, it's H, and welcome to the latest installment of Dune Pod, your one-stop shop to get ready for the new Dune movie. This week, I'm joined as always by my co-host Jason. No, we're not gonna, that's not, that's, Joe Manchin's not gonna break the filibuster for that, I'll tell you that much. And by product manager and investor, Mercy Grace. One, you, you have no idea how annoying you are to other people, like, no, no self-awareness. We discuss Dune 2021's Gurney Halleck himself, Josh Brolin, in the Coen Brothers and Roger Deakins' 2010 Western masterpiece, True Grit. We cover complicated Civil War-era dynamics, the power of being able to admit you're wrong, and the dangers of frontier-era dentistry. If you're enjoying the show, we need your help, seriously. Take two minutes and leave us a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, as it really helps new listeners find the show. And now, without further ado, True Grit. Well, so tell us about WYSIWYG. Oh, yeah. What's what's the story? Yeah, what, what's the deal there, Mercy? Yeah, I have a 10-and-a-half-week-old Australian Shepherd puppy named WYSIWYG, as in... Great name. What you see is what you get. <laughs> yeah. Which I love for a dog. Our previous dog was named Pixel. Mm. And so this is carries on the theme of being nerds. Yeah. Yeah. When you have three product managers on a podcast, you know, there's going to be some nerdy yeah. ass shit going on for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Nice. And is this a dog that gets big or stays small or what's the story? Yeah, it gets, gets big. I think between 35 and 45 pounds is the range. So. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good hi- hiking buddy. That's great. Awesome. That is amazing. Well, I love that. Well, uh, well, I want to say mercy. Thank you for joining Dune Pod. We are so happy to have you here tonight. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming. Uh, hyped. So we've been talking for a while and, and looking forward to get you on the pod. And I was super excited because you picked out of the list, out of everything that we had, and this was back last year, Yeah, you picked True Grit, um, which, as we know, produced by the Coens, Roger Deakins, and Jeff Bridges. This is the unofficial Big Lebowski prequel. Yeah. Um, so very good for us to be able to pick this up after last week. Yeah. It's good timing. It's back-to-back. Uh, Jeff Bridges, Coen Brothers. We're basically a Coen Brothers podcast now that the Dune movie has been delayed. And I'm expecting that, uh, similar to Sokka last week, that you will be quoting every line of the movie as we walk through. So feel free to just interrupt and uh, as we as we make our way through. This film does have an unbelievable script, by the way. Really strong. Oh my gosh, so good. Really strong. Yeah, I will gonna... tell you and you will see that I am right. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I wrote that, I took notes on that. I'm like, I'm going to say this to someone. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure I told people that when I was 14. <laughs> nice. So we will be talking about True Grit in the bottom hour um, of the pod. Uh, we're speaking of it very specifically because we have Gurney Halleck himself, Josh Brolin, in quite a performance uh, in this film. Josh making his third appearance on Dune Pod. Uh, so that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah. It's also a Josh Brolin podcast. <laughs> So uh, next week on Dune Pod, we have Zendaya and from Tenet, John David Washington, them teaming up for Sam Levinson's Malcolm and Marie. Mm, so great. So great. Jason, have you watched it yet? I've not yet. I've still got to, I've got to watch that. It's on the list. I only watch, I only, the only things I watch are like for this podcast. So <laughs> I watch it when required and then otherwise. <laughs> not a moment, not a moment sooner. Not a moment before. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is by, uh, so this is written and directed by Sam Levinson, who is the creator, writer, director, producer of Euphoria on HBO, which we watched with Sarah Chips. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so fell in love with that. And so very excited to talk about this next week. Joining us from Synonauts, the hit podcast, Exploring the Criterion Collection, we have Boom making her first Dune Pod appearance. Yeah, that's great. Really excited. Boom, we can't wait to talk to you next week. All right, shall we get into some Dune news? Would you like to know more? Let's talk about Dune news. There is big Dune news. Jason, Godzilla versus Kong, how many yeah. times did you watch it in the theater and then on HBO Max? Uh, infinite times. I've saw. I've seen it. I've seen a, a Godzilla-sized number of times. Yeah, no, it did. It it did well though. People liked it. People went to go see that uh, and streamed it, and they're happy with how it did. Forty-nine million dollars in the United States. Two hundred and eighty-five million dollars worldwide right. so far. Right. And HBO Max had the highest number of signups in their history. Yeah, I don't I'm very surprised about the strength of the Godzilla universe. Like I it seems I don't know. People get hyped for it. Did you watch it? Did you, is this a movie you watched? I didn't have time. I've seen I've seen zero Godzilla movies. Zero. Skull Island was good. I watched that and and the first one was not very good. Did you you watch any of these Mercy? Yeah, I have I will see kind of anything in in the theaters and just give it a shot for fun. Um I have oh. also I walk out of 85% of the what? movies that I go see. Wow. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, easy come easy go. What's the earliest? Yeah, what's the earliest you've walked out? Um I think the the earliest that I've walked out was um the the comedy how oh, and you guys are gonna hate me for this because everyone loves this uh this movie but the the comedy with will ferrell where he's a newscaster in san diego oh anchorman 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 so people loved that he yeah. started playing the jazz flute in the first act I yeah and it. you're like i'm out wow I, it. I was like i'm not i can't with the jazz flute I'm sorry. This is it for and me. Are you are you by yourself when you walk out, or do you have like a negotiation with a partner or like uh, someone you're with? Yeah. So one of the unexpected areas of compatibility of myself and my my husband is that you both are like we both are we're both the only people we know. <laughs> yeah, for whom it's totally okay. And so, how does it work? Does one of you say to the other like this is it, or is it like you like psychically know when the other one has reached the saturation point? It starts with the sidelong glance. Oh, yep. wow. The raised yep. eyebrows, ugh, the mm. tilt, a yeah. little bit of the growl, and then eventually the elbow nudge. Yeah. 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 And then where do you go after? Like now now it's an evening out and you can do like anything. Sneak into yes. another movie. Yeah. Just go, in a, yes. go next door. <laughs> see what they have in there. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking at a bar or, or just go to sleep or, you know, who knows? Yeah. Well, we usually have a great time discussing how terrible the 20 minutes mm. of whatever movie we watched we're in that gets us for you know about forty five minutes. So that's right. awesome. That that is amazing. Um, I have never walked out of a film. Um, never. So yeah, I, uh, you know, I always am going to take going to take that ride. And I guess I've not finished stuff that I was watching at the house. Maybe that that's uh, an an easier fall off. But do you give up on books? Do you quit books mm -hmm. in the middle? Oh yeah. All right. Yeah, I mm. I read a, a, an enormous amount. Um, mm. and I yeah. often am reading two books at the same time. And you gotcha. know, if it's not, if it's not good, why bother? It's great. I remember, all right, just a quick digression here for one second. Um, my daughter is 23 now, um, just got her first job in tech in the Bay area. Very excited about that this week. Mm. Um, when she was 13, she was very, she transitioned from Harry Potter into Twilight. 
she started reading the Twilight series like over and over again. Um, and she got to a point where she was reading the fourth one. I can't remember, New Dawn or whatever it was. And mm-hmm. I was like, how many times have you read that? And she said, which time? And I said, what do you mean? And she showed me the book. She had two different bookmarks at two different parts of the book. And she was Whoa. doing two simultaneous rereads at the same time. Whoa. A parallelized read? Yeah. Wow. That's some, that's, that's some Gen Z digital native shit. She's, they're, they're multi-threading books? Yeah. I, had never, I have never heard of that since, uh, but that was a pretty wild thing. That's wild. Wow. That's so interesting. <laughs> I don't know what it means. I don't know. I'm ready to be replaced. I'm better. I'm ready to be sent to the farm and retired if that's what we got to do. <laughs> You're going to raise your hogs? Yeah. Just <laughs> beaten by hogs, whatever. <laughs> All right. Well, so to finish off uh, Godzilla versus Kong, it was a huge success. And huge success. Specifically, there was some discussion about what this means for Dune. Right. So de- Deadline says, it hasn't been decided yet if Legendary's other Warner Brothers title, Dune, will go out day and date theatrical and on HBO Max. This is despite the fact that the latter streaming service keeps promoting it as part of their 2021 suite. The success of GVK this weekend makes a clear argument in Legendary's negotiations with Warners to keep that all-star sci-fi movie strictly in theaters. Yeah. I will call out that one Redditor on the Dune Reddit said that there was a, at the end of the trailer for Dune before the movie, it said only in theaters. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I think they should, I think they should renegotiate to keep it only in theaters. Like I think Hmm. the, the analysis I've read about the, box office performance is that it's like it's like a hit for the COVID era but like mm-hmm. it's not like an unmitigated hit and by October people are going to be willing to go back to the theaters it's going to be fine like just you know let's just get let's just go back to where we're going to get all the money for a Dune so they can make the sequel yeah and that scarcity really drives the, yeah. the ticket sales you think yeah I mean I think it's the only way I think they still haven't shown any way to make the money for a huge blockbuster like this, like that they, you need to, in order to like, you're, you know, in order to guarantee a, a, a successful franchise. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, in an interview on CNBC that Dune Info linked to, uh, the legendary CEO, Joshua Grode said he was very positive and he basically described Warner brothers as quote, a great partner. So that's a big change from yeah, them yeah, getting yeah. ready to sue the hell out of them. And yeah, you yeah. Know, our Dune two announcement is maybe just days away. No, they're going to need the movie to open. It's got to open. It's got to open strong, but come on. Stay uh, with me, Jason. I'm feeling, I'm feeling more optimistic. I feel like, you know, we're going to the, obviously the biggest upside of the life-saving vaccines being deployed so efficiently across the United States is that the box office success of Dune is more and more certain every day. So I like our chances. God bless the scientists. I like our chances. All right. Mercy, tell us about your history with Dune. If any. Yeah. Um, big fan of the book when I first read it, you know, at 12 or 13. Um, and then mm. reread it again maybe 18 months ago. Can I just ask who who introduced you to the book at 12 or 13? Uh, how did it come on your radar? Big library mm. person. That's also how I, I found The Hobbit from my school librarian in the fourth grade. Mm. Mm. Got very into that. I mean, that's a book I've reread many times. Great book. There's really those librarian, the librarians you have when you're like in the fourth grade, the third and the fourth grade, I feel are the most life-changing people 
truly. Mm. You, you you can you can have like the my my librarian at that age introduced me to Narnia, which was like my first wow yeah. my first true love. Um and yeah, it just like sort of forever like shapes your shapes your world. My uh my older sister is a um a uh, an NPR producer for for Oregon Public Broadcasting, so you know great great radio voice. Cool. And she recorded herself reading on tape uh, the entire Narnia series wow. for um, for myself and and younger siblings. She's Whoa. sixteen years older than me, That's great. and so that was our introduction to, to Narnia, which was just fantastic a bespoke audio version that's yeah. amazing that's awesome that's do you think like librarians now are turning a four-year-old or fourth graders onto like uh game of thrones or like what's happening not game of thrones I mean, name of the win there's a lot of uh there's a lot of sex in the second one of that one too like why are you trying to why are you trying to perv out the fourth grade librarian so much i don't know i'm just wondering if like is everything changing like, i think it's uh, harry harry potter and like the yeah, um, okay and harry potter has not been canceled uh, due to uh the transphobia. No, Harry, it's Harry Potter still Harry Potter still lives just divorced from its creator. Okay. That's acceptable. Sam is three, and I think probably five years from now we'll be wanting to start looking at that book. So Yeah. Yeah. Regardless. Tough, tough choice. Not like Herbert, where everything is totally above. Yeah, no problems whatsoever. <laughs> All right, well, shall we get into true grit? Let's do it. Yep. All right. Here we go. True Grit is a young woman's quest for justice and an equal place in an unfair world. Maddie Ross's idyllic childhood in Arkansas is shattered when her father is robbed and brutally murdered by the craven outlaw Tom Cheney. Maddie, at just 14 years of age, travels to Fort Smith to reclaim her father's body, set his affairs aright, and hire someone to track down and capture Cheney. She settles on Reuben Rooster Cogburn, a drunk, trigger-happy marshal, and convinces him to take her case. Heading into Choctaw country, they encounter a stream of scoundrels, thieves, miscreants, and the arrogant Texas Ranger Labeef. Will they succeed in tracking down Cheney and the crew he's thrown in with and deliver justice? And will they prove that they do, in fact, have true grit? Mm, 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 good. That's a that's a classic. That's a that's a real age we classic did it. right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Okay, this is an awesome movie. Did you see this in the theaters? Yes. Yes, and I did not walk out. <laughs> Are you a Coen Brothers fan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love the Coen Brothers. They're they're really fantastic. What's your fave Coen Brother? Well, I mean, Big Lebowski, I think, you know, for my generation, is is just one of those iconic films that I think everyone has it somewhat memorized. You know, you know all of the characters. Mm. Um, and I think it's very it's a very American film. My husband is French, and he lived in Texas for a while, but he just does not get it, and he thinks it's one of the worst movies he's ever seen. Wow, wow, wow. Lebowski? Really? I know, right? Yeah, I know. I'm just like, I I still, it's hard to hard to fathom that. And then, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. I mean, they have so many great ones. Love it. And just continuing the career of Frances McDormand in general. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, she's incredible. And she, this is one of the few ones that she's not in, right? Yep. Yeah, she's not in this one. She would have made a great adult Maddie, I think. Mm. Oh, she would have been good. Yeah, that would have been a good role for her. 
So, so this film, you know, again, uh, you know, we, we've raved about it. Um, it's kind of a spiritual successor to No Country for Old Men as well, right? Which is mm-hmm. also on the plains and, uh, and a pursuit for someone and a, and a hunt for justice. I don't know, just a really, uh, a really gorgeous outdoor and our first true Western that we've done, we've done on the show. Um, just the opening line, the wicked flee where none pursueth, Proverbs 28, 1. I love that. Uh, it sets an, an immediate tone. And that opening shot where it's just black and then you see kind of gold as it slowly comes into focus. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Holy cow. Yeah, it's great. It's a beautiful first shot. It's really great. Love it. Yeah, and then the shot of Tom riding sideways across and then riding into the night um, was spectacular as well. It's just really, Deacons is on fire right out of the gate. Yeah. And the language, and the language is great right out of the gate. Like the 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 voiceover is amazing. Like right out of the gate. Like that pat that when Cheney fled, like Cheney fled, uh, is like uh, is just a great line. You just you know that this is going to be a much more kind of um, poetic movie mm. uh, than some of their. Yeah, I mean all their work is great, but this is this is going to have a definite style to it. Yeah. So the the presence of of Haley Stanfield in this voiceover, and then just immediately in the first scene on the train and getting off and trying to get oriented um, was just beautiful. And the town of Fort Smith is so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I love it's where the railroad ends and it shows it pulling up and there's the timbers (laughs) that are on there, you know, waiting to be added. I'm like, oh, that's that's just such a beautiful touch. Yeah. Yeah. So she's, her first job is to get there and reclaim her father's body. And we learn as we did last week that burials are expensive. Yeah, and she's she's getting she's getting it's another another like undertaker trying to screw the the little guy. If you want to kiss him, it would be all right. It would be all right. Would be all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. His recycled line. Yeah, uh, but I do love like just her her presence as she's starting to figure it out. Like the whole um, you know the the hanging scene um, and trying to figure out with the sheriff how you know whether she's going to get any justice. Mm-hmm. You know, just very powerful. I think the the hanging scene is interesting because it kind of gives you like the oh yeah hangings were a spectacle and like people are kind of you know it's it's sort of played for laughs. Um, I do think the treatment of the Indian is a little weird. Uh, <laughs> it's like, brutal, you know, like because he's like he's about to speak and then they like cut him off and that's just purely played for a joke, um, which seems a little strange. But I don't know. You thought you you think the Coens were playing for that for a joke? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was meant to be a joke. Like the the fact that he gets cut off is like meant to. I think it's more meant to be a joke than is like, oh, we feel bad for that character that we don't really care about. Yeah, more of a self aware nod toward, of course, the incredible racism. Yeah, yeah, of the era. But yeah, it. I mean, in twenty twenty one on a rewatch, that moment also did not sit great with me. No. Yeah, and, and uh, well. It both makes you laugh, um, whether you want to or not. Um, mm. it, it does have a humorous element in it, but it it conveys in an instant that racism and uh, and and the lack of caring. So, from an effective kind of storytelling perspective, yeah, I thought that was super powerful. Yeah, I did think it was weird that he was fat. <laughs> yeah, and that that really threw me off. That he and he was like he was quite overweight. You know, uh-huh. like a big beer belly kind of overweight. And right. it's like, okay, you're on the frontier and you're native, you know, and you're literally where the railroad stops. Like, there's just nowhere for you to get the calories that it takes to get to that size. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it like, that really threw me off. It's like, cast, cast someone scrawnier next time. 
That's really funny. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't I had not thought about that. So she talks to the sheriff who points her at Rooster Cogburn um, and basically describes him as kind of like the toughest and meanest of the of the possible folks. And she talks to him in the John, um, you know, he's in the outhouse and he just totally dismisses her. I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah, it's funny because he gives her a choice of three and she like, you know, he says the best is this other guy, but she chooses the one that's the meanest. Like that's like specifically what uh, appeals to her. And more likely to kill the the people, right? More murderous. Yeah, exactly. More murderous. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is like what she finds out from the trial. She's like, okay, great. This guy's killed 23 people and it like seems fairly, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. fairly ambivalent about um, uh, about it. So I'm for it. Well, let's, yeah. let's talk about the trial. So, I mean, the, the shot where Rooster's testifying. Cece Wharton pulled down on Potter with one barrel and turned to do the same for me and I shot him. An old man raised the axe, I shot him. Otis lit out, and I shot him. Right, right. Just amazing. Yeah, yeah. And his draw, like, what is that, what is the the vocal technique that he's using? Well, it looks like half of his face is paralyzed. Like, he's doing, like, a weird, like, sort of, like, either he's got, like, chaw in, or, like, he's doing something where it's, like, you know, uh, yeah, like, it's great. It's great. He's doing. He, it's it's fun seeing him in this role, having seen him in Lebowski last week, because like it, it is really you know showing some range, even though like in both cases he's slightly intoxicated or very intoxicated. Mm. Mm. Um. So Maddie approaches him after the trial and says, "You know, they tell me you're a man with true grit, and she wants to hire him for fifty dollars, and he doesn't believe she has it." and the line as he he roll she rolls his cigarette for him because he he can't roll it, and he he declines saying, "Don't believe in fairy tales or sermons or stories about money, baby sister." But thanks for the cigarette. Yeah, baby sister. I I think they do a great job just sort of establishing what this guy is out the by. Like he's he's like kind of a he's kind of a shambles, but he's also clearly a lethal killer mm-hmm. uh, and like he's doing it like for money like he's not really there just for noble purpose it's it's great it's the full full package just right off the jump yeah mm. and she did get a sense from him immediately though that she could trust him mm-hmm. you know being being out on this uh you know kind of wild goose chase looking for a criminal with him um, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, when I'm sure we'll talk about, but when she meets like Labeef, she immediately dislikes him and he seems untrustworthy. Um, yeah. she, she, she has a good, uh, radar. It seems like. So that's the next scene. She goes back to the, to the house, uh, the boarding house where she's staying and, and Labeef played by Matt Damon, uh, <laughs> comes up while she wait in the morning, she wakes up and he's sitting there. Um, and he says, I came from Yale County. And she says, we have no rodeo clowns in Yale County. So great. <laughs> She just yeah. rips into him from the get-go. It's amazing. You give out very little sugar with your pronouncements. While I sat there watching you, I gave some thought to stealing a kiss. Though you are very young and sick and unattractive to boot. But now I have a mind to give you five or six good licks with my belt. One would be as unpleasant as the other. <laughs> and she's and she's sick in this sick. scene like she's yeah. like sick in bed and like she's just like whatever this fucking joker is like i don't have any time for this he's great <laughs> great i was so great just so happy to see matt damon in this in this part in this movie it's just really uh a delight he should really only play bad guys yes yeah. agree right interstellar he's great yeah. yeah that's what i was yeah. thinking of too Spoilers. such a good bad guy yeah <laughs> yeah 
Uh, yeah, you give out very little sugar with your pronouncements. <laughs> yeah, just great. He's great. That's amazing. Well, so so Maddie disses him uh, and says that her her man is going to find uh, is going to find Cheney sooner. And and LaBeouf is there. He's a Texas marshal who is also trying to catch Cheney for another reason. Texas um, Ranger. Te- thank you, Texas Ranger. <laughs> Do not yeah. want to get that wrong. That's great. yeah, especially not in front of him. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Maddie, uh, she goes to hire a rooster. She needs money. So she goes and cuts a deal with the colonel uh, to settle her father's affairs. I owe you money. You have not traded poorly. Oh, certainly not. I'm paying you for a horse I do not possess and have bought back a string of useless ponies, which I cannot sell again. You're forgetting the gray horse. Crobate. You were looking at the thing in the wrong light. I am looking at Mercy, I'm picturing you like negotiating a term sheet and, you know, like the founder's like, wait, are we, ne- are we negotiating again? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. The abject look of fear in the following scene. And he's like, wait a minute. Are we trading again? Yeah. <laughs> oh, he just got done over by her. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. She's relentless. That's a great, that's like one of the three best scenes of the movie. She's just relentless. She's like, and now the business about the saddle, like just absolutely on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love yeah. it. Yeah. And just the, the establishment of her, um, and everything, everything about her, um, uh, is, is just really, really impressive. And it's so, so severe with the braids mm-hmm. and, and the hair. It's just like very, very intense. Um, so going back and, and talking to him, uh, you know, uh, talking to Rooster, you know, he says, coon hunt, and this ain't no coon hunt. Uh, and he's, and coon he's, hunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so he's gonna, he's gonna leave her. He, he attempts to leave her behind and she ultimately catches up to them and sees, uh, him going across the river. So she literally rides her horse, little blackie across yeah. the river. That was wild. Uh, you know, some horse stunt work going on. Yeah, it seemed like that was a tough day of shooting for everyone. The the horse, <laughs> the girl, anyone responsible for the horse or the girl. It seemed like that was going to yeah. be tough to pull off. They really just pushed them through some water for sure. Mm. Yeah. Um, what did you think about the spanking scene where uh, Labeef is trying to get rid of Maddie? Well, it's great. I think the highlight is where uh, where he's where Cockburn says, "I don't believe I will." Like you know, like uh, and. And uh, and commences to to pull his gun on on Labeef. And it was a weird like, creeper bookend too to his original when she's you know sick in bed, fourteen years old. Though obviously you know it was a different era, but still he's like, yeah, he had started off saying, you know, I thought I might still a kiss, you kiss, know, and now yeah. I see, you know, and then yeah. he's like immediately speaking here. It's like, well, obviously this is what you're into. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we all know that, and it's awkward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, I think there's also a moment where Cockburn like decides to intervene. It's it seems kind of clear that he o- almost wasn't going to. Like he's like, ah, mm. what, I didn't want this girl to come, and now I'm gonna have to intervene and like you know kind of go all the way to protect her. And like it feels like that's like a a pretty key moment in their relationship. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because he he recognizes in her that she's like super. She's like also has true grit. Mm. Yeah. Have you guys seen the the meme on Reddit where it's like, uh, you know, here's here my here's my dad who said he didn't want a cat, and then you know here's him and he's like built a castle for the cat, you know, like right. six months later or whatever. That this character evolution reminds me of that. That it's like yeah, at yeah. the beginning he's like, oh, this girl, and then he's right. like, I will die for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Send me a link on that so I can include it in the show notes. <laughs> I'll do. <laughs> 
Um, so there's a lot of tension, uh, between Rooster and Labeef and I actually really like how this simmers and it, it unfolds over a couple of arguments, just sort of generally, uh, Marshall versus Texas Ranger and, and kind of dissing there and Maddie having to step in and break the tension, uh, to make that happen. Um, but the next scene when they decide to part ways, um, there's this great, discussion of the civil war they were both confederates but in very different units the force of law this man is a notorious thumper he rode by the light of the moon with quantrill and bloody bill anderson them men was patriots texas trash they murdered women and children in lawrence kansas that's a goddamn lie what army was you in mister i was at treeport first with kirby smith then yeah what side was you on? I was in the Army of Northern Virginia, Cogburn, and I don't have to hang my head when I say it. If you had served with Captain Quantrill. Captain? Captain Quantrill. <laughs> Indeed. Let's let this go to beef. Captain of what? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I I had to look it up to, like, you know, get the, the scoop on the Quantrill's Raiders that Cogburn rode with. Um, and the Quantrill's Raiders were like a bad, a bad bunch of hombres. I mean, they were basically like a guerrilla unit that just like went out and fought in the bleeding Kansas, uh, battles. Uh, and so, and we're doing like, you know, like, uh, like, you know, renegade slave stuff. And like, there, there were some bad, there were some bad dudes. Um, Mm. and so definitely it's like, you know, a thing, you know, it's a point to like, it's a point to, uh, you know, Cockburn is just like, he's not like a honorable sheriff type. Like he's like a guy and it comes out later. That's like, you know, run scams and like, you know, had bars and like, you know, whatever, you know, he's, he's had a, he's had a checkered past to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and actually that's the next scene as they're walking. Rooster begins telling his tale. And I, I noticed this even more on my second watch through today. He really is unfolding his story for like 25 minutes um, of the movie mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. from his first wife to his second wife. Uh, mm-hmm. and just says, you know, my drinking picked up. Yeah. You want to assume it's similar to Paul. You want to assume that your hero is inherently good. Mm-hmm. And right. then you find out that your hero has problems. Yeah. Yeah. And you see Maddie start to realize that like she has that kind of moment of doubt and she's I mean she's so so fantastic in this role and you really see the doubt just like flicker across her face when Labeef really leaves and she's like "Mm, maybe this isn't good yeah and you can see from her point of view this like older hunched over guy on the horse talking about his you know second wife and you know his abandoned child and she's like hmm (laughs) Maybe this. Yeah, this is not the the night that I thought that he might be. Yeah, yeah. This this seems like a problem. <laughs> uh, well, what about the dentist in the bear suit? Well, that's the. I mean, that's the highlight of the movie. Clearly, uh, <laughs> is running running into Forrester. Uh, I mean, that's that's that that's absolute magic, and everything that guy says is amazing. You are not Labeef. My name is Forrester. Now practice dentistry in the nation, also veterinary arts, and medicine on those humans that will sit still for it. It is bizarre, right? Like, yeah, I mean, they they just kind of dial the cones up to eleven in that scene. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I, my favorite part is the where he says the original greaser bobs. You might want to head over to the original greaser bobs. 
He notched a dugout into a hollow along the Carillon River. If you ride the river, we won't fail to see it. Greaser Bob, the original Greaser Bob, is hunting north of the picket wire and would not be grudge's use. Uh-huh. Like he clarifies that he's like he's they're up at <laughs> Greaser the Bob's, the original Greaser Bob's. Yeah, <laughs> just the champion. Yeah, that guy's that guy's the best. That guy, yeah, amazing, fantastic. It's just so surreal. It, that's like a David Lynch uh, almost aspect to it. Yeah, but more fun. It's got it's more it's more lighthearted. I love this part of. I think it does a good job to establish that like there really is at this time in American history, this very wild part of the country. That's just, you know, there's no law, there's no civilization. It's just like, you know, if you, if you're a dude who wants to wear a bear coat and like practice dentistry slash like, you know, veterinarian is. Yeah. For the humans who can hold still. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) If if that's your thing, like this is the place for you because it's just however you it's it's just purely wild times. I wondered if his age too wasn't him, like because that was kind of the previous generation of the Wild West, the pre Civil War Wild West, right? That was like mm-hmm. pure expansion, trappers in bear suits, you know, practicing dentistry, and he's you know supposed to be probably in his. 70s i i would guess mm-hmm. um and so that kind of felt like oh he was the the previous version of someone like a rooster mm. yeah when it was like unlimited resources unlimited expand like there were no sort of uh, checks on the system at that point yeah exactly just you and the bears and now you're coming up short and uh you know when when things are getting tight yeah and was he what did he have that body for i wasn't clear on that well, he took the teeth to make dentures, yeah, and then he was willing to he was willing to say he was willing to trade the rest of it. But I think as like a frontier veterinary <laughs> doctor, right. he's probably also looking to get some practice in, like just like kind of poke around and see what's in there. Yeah, just as a cadaver. Yeah, I traded two dental mirrors and a bottle of expectorant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that guy's a champion. I love yeah. him. I love he to was- see the spinoff of just his story. There you go. So he heads off to. Um, he heads. He sends them to the original Greaser Bob's, uh, which I do love the detail that original Greaser Bob built a place into a hollow out something, whatever. But he's hunting. Greaser Bob is hunting somewhere right. up north, and he won't mind if someone comes and stays. So it's there. okay. Like, Anyone can like stay at his shack while he's like going to do whatever. It's like yeah. proto Airbnb, basically. Yeah. Hey, um, couch surfing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they show up and they flush out Moon and Quincy um, who are yeah. staying in there and you have a shootout and Moon is quickly hit. So I was not expecting to see Domino Gleason here. Domino Gleason. Yeah, exactly. Our, our, we, our ex Machina guy. He's back. And uh, Star Wars. Yeah. And Harry Potter. He's really, he's, he's all things oh, and Black Domino. Mirror. Good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. If you can throw him in, and he's great in this too. Love Domino Gleason. Yeah. He is really great. And Quincy kills him or, or stabs him. Uh, you know, Rooster shoots Quincy. So it's like very violent very quickly. And you see the reaction um, for Maddie. Um, but as uh, Moon is dying, it's just a beautiful moment. He's like, I'm dying. And Rooster's like, I can't do nothing for you. I'm gone. <laughs> Sent the news to my brother, George Garrett. He is a Methodist circuit rider in his. South Texas. Shall I tell him he's outlawed up? It don't matter. 
He knows I'm on the scout. Uh, I will meet him later walking the streets of glory. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, that's great. Rooster sets up a turkey shoot because we know that the Ned Pepper gang is coming and we think that that's yeah. who Cheney is rolling with. So they set up on high ground and they're going to get them um, when they come in. And unfortunately, that that all gets busted because LaBeef shows up. Fucking LaBeef. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we have a crazy shootout uh, where it's a mess. Yeah, it goes badly. LaBeef comes out. He tries to take on four guys on horseback by himself. They surround him and lasso him. Uh, and then Cockburn opens fire and hits LaBeef uh, yeah. in addition to uh, most of the other dudes. <laughs> he says, that did not pan out. That did not pan out. <laughs> the scheme did not develop as planned. Yeah. And then LaBeef almost bit his tongue off, so he's going to yank his tongue off. Yeah. That's- that scene is amazing. It'll knit. It'll knit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I also love when Maddie says, well, We promised to bury the poor soul inside. That's too hard. That man wanted a decent burial. They should have got themselves killed in summer. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I wrote that line down too. There's, I mean, it is really like, uh, it was, it's a really. There's so many. It's it's a beautifully written movie. There's so many great lines of dialogue and the the style of it just is is so much fun. I love. I want more Coen Brothers movie. I'm so glad we're in this Coen Brothers like kind of rut right now where we've done like now this is what like our fourth one. Uh-huh. Um, they're just it's just a joy. So good, love it. Uh, you also have this the whole Latin discussion with Malamense as as a Latin term and Maddie being on top of it and Rooster having no idea. I mean, is it a little too strong? Is Maddie too smart? She's precocious. She's. I mean, I think like you know, like the like she's precocious. But you know, the thing I like about Maddie is like she's very book smart and like is she still kid like in a number of ways. Like I love the scene where yeah. right before they break up and they're like, you know, you know, shall I tell you the story of the midnight caller? one of you will have to be the caller <laughs> and like, you know, like she just wants to do ghost stories. Cause like, that's what they did on their coon hunt or whatever. And she's not yeah. like, there's like part of her that's like, not really, um, uh, that's clearly not an adult. That's clearly a kid. Um, so it's pretty fun. Mm. She's fun. Yeah. What was it like being precocious, uh, as a 14 year old mercy? i mean i obviously i relate to this to this character one you you have no idea how annoying you are to other people like no no self-awareness still still that way but go ahead (laughs) yeah um and it's it is funny to see to see glimmers of of the adult and then you know at the at the end when it casts back to her i remember thinking god i would love a movie about adult maddie Mm-hmm. Did she become a, you know, I assume she became a, a lawyer, though I don't, probably women weren't allowed to practice law at that mm. time in the United States, you know, and she stayed single. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like those, those glimmers where you're a 14 year old in the middle of nowhere and you're clearly have gotten like your father's lawyer's books or something like that. And you've memorized a bunch of this stuff and, totally. you know, and you love, and you love to show off in front of a grown up. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I just, I, I really, I really loved, uh, Really loved her performance. So um, Rooster does um, convey at some point, you know, two stories. One, going up one versus seven with reins in his teeth. Um, and he confesses that they were pursuing him because he robbed a high interest bank. And yeah. then justifies it and says, you can't rob a thief. Yeah, he, re- he robbed like a date, uh, you know, like a payday lender. Right. <laughs> yeah, 
exactly. It's fine. Are we going to regulate those this this congressional session or not? No, we're not going. That's not. That's Joe Manchin's not going to break the filibuster for that. I'll tell you that much. Mm. Boo hiss. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So um, because the uh, original Greaser Bob's place was uh, flush with whiskey and sompy sonk. What was Softy. It's Softy. like hom- hominy. It's like a hominy <laughs> stew. Yeah. Um, Rooster suddenly has confiscated a lot of booze. And so he proceeds to just get rip-roaring drunk over the course of the next, like, 10 minutes of the movie. Um, and there's a shot where he's already drunk as they're pulling away from original Bob's. And Maddie looks back over her shoulder, and there's just a shot of the cabin going away. And it's a really powerful, like, you can tell she's worried about where she's going yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. And Incredible. the stack of dead bodies outside. Oh, yeah. I didn't even notice that. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. But she's like, she's realized she's like pushing off from the shore now into like dark water. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. Yeah. So now we have the cornbread shootout. <laughs> the cornbread shootout. <laughs> Such an amazing scene. Set it up for us. Oh, yeah. So uh, the ranger and the marshal get into um, a pissing match about who's the better shot. And, oh, because he got know, shot, right? Because uh, right, yeah, because the 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 ranger is complaining to the marshal about uh, having shot him, and he said, you know, if I wanted to shoot you, you'd be dead or something like that. Um, I don't, I don't miss my shot. Uh, and so they start to sort of challenge each other. And, you know, as a, as a young woman, I've seen this at many parties and uh-huh. I feel like it doesn't happen without the presence of a young woman. Like, okay, th- that was like they had an audience for this argument that they wouldn't have necessarily had just the two of them. Sure. And they, they start getting into it and start trying to like talk about different things that they would shoot and then end up throwing the marshals of throwing cornbread into the air to see like, who's the better skeet hunter basically. There. There. My bullet. Your bullet. If you hit what you aim at, explain my shoulder. Gentlemen, shooting cornbread out here on the prairie is getting us no closer to the Ned Pepper gang. One more. This'll prove it. Please hold fire. And the amounts of groans and just the sound effects that he's making and the way he moves yeah. is why. And the way he like throws his arm, none of it looks good. None of it gives you the belief that he is capable of doing anything. Yeah. But then he hits some. Well, he almost hits Labeef. Like he shoots wild. I mean, like it doesn't, none of it looks good. Well, Labeef took out, Labeef was behind him shooting, shooting some of the cornbread out. Yeah, and I think it was a it was a question at that point. It's like, was it Libby yeah. shooting that I then I think is backed up in later scenes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so they continue on uh, their cornbread uh, stores somewhat diminished. Um, but I just have a note of again the vistas outdoors. There was another shot that was just like a straight back to no country. Um, so yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. And then now we have the kind of the heart of the, uh, you know, the, the, the move into the third act. And this is where Rooster is just drunk and he decides that he wants to bow out. I'm a foolish old man who's been drawn into a wild goose chase by a harpy in trousers and a nincompoop. You, sister, let go where you like. Our engagement is terminated. I bow out. I bow out. <laughs> a ning, a ningaboo. Yeah, it's great. God, it's great. He's a, he's just man. He's 
Jeff Bridges. Who knew? Who knew how good he could be? He's, I bow out. I bow out. Yeah, I love it. Uh, it's 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 really it, it feels very like um, I mean it's like a classic you know sort of act two break where it's just like oh everything's really falling apart and it feels like really mm. broken at that point you're like oh this is like they're just fucked now like you know like she's out here in the middle of nowhere with like you know these two assholes yeah and they're both leaving neither of them want her yeah exactly yeah yeah this is where Mercy that you called out earlier her face in this scene where she's looking at. Um, Rooster, who she'd been kind of idolizing, and then just like, oh, this is not good, and I don't want to be left here. And she she owns up to it with with Le Beef too. How can you give up now after the many months you dedicated to finding Cheney? You have shown great determination. I misjudged you. I picked the wrong man. And I think it it just really shows, you know, that to me shows her maturity in a way that actually nothing else does. Cause it's one thing to be, mm. you know, not afraid of the dark. It's another thing to admit when you are wrong and people go through their whole lives without being able to do that. But 14 nailed it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And, and the fact that it goes both ways, right? Yeah. I will not go back. Not without Cheney dead or alive. I misjudge you as well. I extend my hand. Mr. The Beef, please. I extend my hand. Yeah. Yeah. God damn, that, like, respect yeah. given and received. Yeah. Yeah. That was beautiful. Really yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Golly. Yeah. Love it. They were really too similar to each other to get along right away. Labeef mm-hmm. and, and Maddie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very similar characters. Yeah, Labeef clearly, uh, you know, has a lot of, has a lot of drive uh, for, for what he's doing. And a, a lot of conviction in his own rightness, which he, I think, shares with many. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So she's kind of uh, not sure what to do with Labeef's departure. She goes ahead and sleeps. She wakes up the next morning and she goes down to the riverbed. And this is where we finally get our introduction of Cheney. Yeah. We get our first look at Josh Brolin. Barbara Streisand's stepson. <laughs> oh, that's right. What? Oh my God. I wrote, I was, you know, taking some notes when I was watching it through again this time. And all I wrote was Josh Brolin, lol, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> just like, you know, it's, it, first you're like, oh, like a couple of horses. Oh, a guy, you know, and then just the look on her face and the look on his face. And you remember yeah. that she, she was like, oh, you know, he was an idiot. Like, I didn't think that he was that bright. And you really, Josh Brolin, I don't know how smart he is in real life, but he plays morons just yeah, he really so well. Great. Yeah. So, so well. And he just has a dumb look on his face and a dumb look in his eyes. And he really slowly pieces together who she is and what she might be doing there. What are you doing here in the mountains? Yeah. <laughs> and he like puts his gun away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. No, it's just amazing. That dude is Thanos also. It's just like kind of yeah. like wild that like, he, like these, like his two credits, like include like, like the ultimate bad guy. And then this moron. He's also a serious film producer and he's a poet. Really? Um, so he is, I mean, he's a really, he's a really smart guy. Um, yeah. Uh, very, very well read. So I, I, I loved, I love that. I, I will say, so for me, I found this performance to be somewhat weird. Um, it definitely was, was off-putting. Well, if you refuse to go, I'll have to shoot you. Oh, well, you better cock your piece. All the way back. Don't lock. I know how to do it. 
You want not go with me? No, it's just the other way around. You're going with me. I did not think you were doing. What do you think now? All the way back. <laughs> I did not think you would shoot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he captures her because her gun jams and uh, is able to spirit her away where we finally meet Ned Pepper. Ned Pepper. Played by Barry Pepper. Confusingly. Great role. <laughs> is that an ancestor? Is this like a Woody Harrelson, no country situation? Yeah, no. Th- uh, he does great, though. Barry Pepper, really a great role for him. Amazing. Yeah. Fantastic teeth. Really great teeth. Teeth and spittle, he, like the budget for that was very high. Yes. He needs to see the bear guy to get the, the teeth worked <laughs> out. Yeah. yeah. But him shouting, do you advise I kill the girl? And yeah. Rooster saying, she's nothing to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he's not going to risk it, right? I mean, that rooster is no hesitation whatsoever on, on wanting to save her life. Yeah. Yeah. He heads, he heads out. Oh yeah. Barry Pepper played Roger Maris in the movie 60 in the movie 61. That's weird. What is that? Uh, that's about, it's about like the chase for 61 home runs. Like the, like it's like, um, I think, I think Billy Crystal. Uh, yeah. Funny story. This is a total diversion on Dune pod. Yeah. (laughs) Directed by Billy Crystal. Uh, about Roger Marison, Mickey Mantle's race to break Babe Ruth's single season home run record. Um, hmm. I was an extra in this movie. What? Uh, uncredited extra. Uh, they shot this movie in Tiger Stadium uh, in Detroit. Uh, and I was in Detroit at the time. Is that where the team was based? Uh no the team the team in the movie is the New York Yankees in the movie I don't follow baseball Jason FYI it's okay it's okay you don't know who Mickey Mantle played for it's fine um he played for the New York Yankees uh and uh this was set but they subbed Tiger Stadium for Yankee Stadium okay uh, and I was in Detroit and I went to I, they said they needed extras and I went down and I sat in the stands to be like a how was it. It was boring as hell. Like, I mean, you know, it's like <laughs> sitting around, they're not doing much of anything. It wasn't great. Nice. That's my story. Put that in. Put that, put that, <laughs> keep that whole thing. It's definitely not going to be cut. It is not two minutes of self-contained story that could be cut yeah. very easily. Yeah. <laughs> so now we sort of rush to, you know, a multi-stage, uh, you know, conclusion of this film. We have um, Ned leaves, leaves Maddie with Cheney, but insists that he doesn't treat her poorly. Or else right. he won't get paid. Do you think he was terrible idea? I think, think he, didn't he was care honest about that, or you think he didn't care? I think it's a win-win for him. Either like you know, like he doesn't have to take the he's not doesn't have to take the girl doesn't have to take this asshole, mm-hmm. uh, and like so either he does what he says and he shows up you know he shows up later and that's fine, or he kills him and he doesn't have to give him his money. Like it's a win. It's a yeah. it's a mm. good move for him. And maybe looking for a way to get rid of Cheney yeah, as well. Exactly. Yeah. He's a dumbass. Yeah, he is a dumbass. Yeah, looking to get rid of Cheney, looking to get rid of the girl. Like, they, he just wants to be done with the whole thing. Yeah, Cheney drew all this heat onto him as well in yeah. the first place. Yeah. yeah, the star meter going through the roof. But also, like, the rest of Ned's gang is not necessarily, like, you got the guy, Harold, who's doing all the, like, the cow sounds and the... Yeah, it's a weird ass gang. The Ned Pepper gang is an odd bunch, and the doctor. Yeah, it's really- the doc. Yeah. There's always a doctor, right? Like, oh, you gotta have. A why doctor. you gotta have a doc? Why is that? 
I mean, you need a you need a healer in any raiding party, Matt. You oh know that. Oh my god, that's <laughs> a good point. Good point. Yeah. Uh, do we have is Tombstone on the list? Oh, Tombstone's good. I'll be your Huckleberry. That's Josh Brolin, isn't it? Uh, is no, that? Val Kilmer. Yeah. Oh, okay. Val Kilmer, Bill Paxton, Michael Bean, and Kurt Russell. Oh my God, mm. what a movie! Mm. Yeah, mm. Boy, great film. What a movie. Um, so we have Cheney <laughs> sitting there talking to Maddie. Everything's against me. Uh, I must. Yeah. Th- I must think over my position and how to improve it. Yeah. But so it's tough. He's going to kill her. Uh, he's got the knife at her throat. Ed LaBeef comes in for the for the save and knocks him unconscious. Mm-hmm. Yay, LaBeef. <laughs> a hero after all. Not just a weird child kisser beater. <laughs> yeah. So then we have, we have finally Rooster V4. And so this is the big showdown going across the field, um, you know, reins in teeth and shooting both. Yeah. What is your intention, Rooster? You think one on four is a dog fall? <laughs> I mean to kill you in one minute, Ned. Or see you hang at Fort Smith at Judge Parker's convenience. Which will you have? I call that bold talk for a one eyed fat man. <laughs> Feel your hand, you son of a bitch! <laughs> Have either of you ever watched the uh, the Duke? Have you ever watched John Wayne's True Grit? No, I've not seen the original. No, yeah. So it's interesting. I play. So I watched the scene again, and then I switched over and I played uh, John Wayne's version. What's your intention? Do you think one on four is a dog fall? I mean to kill you in one minute, Ned. Or see you hanged in Fort Smith at Judge Parker's convenience. Which will it be? I call that bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. Fill your hand, you son of a bitch. And it's identical. That scene, Mm -hmm. like, literally almost identical. Yeah, uh, and dialogue for dialogue. Um, almost, Almost exact. I think, I mean, we've raised the dialogue a lot and a lot of it comes from the book. It's from the book. Yeah. yeah. And I think like, I think like they, I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting about this movie and the Coen brothers body of work is like that it's, you know, typically they make genre blending movies. Like they make yeah. like a, you know, a film norm movie, like, like with a stoner or they make a film norm winning set in Minnesota or whatever. Like, you know, there's some yeah. other, there's some twist. This mm-hmm. is just straight. This is pure straight western um which is very strange for them uh and i think like part of it was just to see how faithful they could be to the style of the of the piece uh and like so yeah it's it's i think there's a lot of that that kind of you know gets directly um kind of reinterpreted and because it was it was based off of a book I, I was actually wondering this the other day is something necessarily is this being the second film based off this book is this a remake of True Grit with John Wayne or is this another film based on the book? Right. So Joel Cohen, um, I listened to him on the Roger Deakins podcast, Team Deakins, um, and he described that he was reading the book True Grit to his son, Pedro, hmm. and um, they were just, they loved it. They said it was really, really funny and just a great book. So he actually didn't watch the movie. 
Yeah, the, I think they've said they've not seen the original, like, and purposely didn't want to see the the Wayne version. So they just set up that scene. Yeah. That's just, it turns out, the perfect way to shoot that scene. Wait till you hear it. Wait till you hear the dialogue. Like, it's it's, it's pretty amazing how, how close they are. Or they're lying. Yeah. The Coen brothers are not reliable narrators of their own creative <laughs> process. Like, they're very, yeah. they're very, they're very squirrely. Like, they both give, yeah, like, yeah. kind of evasive answers and just lies as answers so who knows what they were really doing but they've said they've not seen the movie yeah well so rooster is able to take out everybody except for ned who comes around um, and is going to shoot him and labeef has to make the shot from 400 yards with the sharps carbine which he does Mm -hmm. Um, yeah and everyone cheers and which rooster had previously said there's no way that you can make that that shot from that distance. Yeah. You could be on the rock of Gibraltar. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Uh, but then Cheney comes up and hits Labeef in the head with a rock. Bummer. And, mm-hmm. then it, and then it is Maddie's moment where she has to decide what to do and she does not hesitate. Mm-mm. And she blasts him in the chest mm-hmm. um, with a carbine and sends him off the cliff. That was very satisfying. Mm-hmm. It was satisfying, but it directly leads to her falling in a pit with snakes. Right. Hella snakes. That's what my notes say. Just hella snakes. Yeah. Well, they're, it's, they're, they're hibernating. It's the, you know, it's the snake. They, they set up previously. It was snake sleepy times. And so they went down to their hole to have a nice snooze. And then the little lady fell on them. And that's going to that's gonna piss off your snakes. That's a good mm-hmm. way to piss off your snakes. This was a little over the top for me. The snakes? Yeah. The snakes took me out of it a little bit. I'm like, that is like, like... You know, if you roll D6 snakes and, uh, you know, and, and you get six, that's a lot of snakes. Like, well, you know, that's how snakes do. Yeah. And snakes are not really social creatures, right? I don't think that they den together. <laughs> Snake party. Yeah, it's a good point. I don't know if they, I, I, they, they only kind of ball up for that, for the, um, for the, the child, the child rearing. <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if they would do that. That's a good point. I don't know what the, the herpetology report on this movie is. This moment, it definitely, it felt too big. Yeah. Like the the recoil from the gun felt too big. There were too many snakes. I mean, the hole was too deep. She fell too far into it. It was just like it seemed this, like this weird, um, almost like a punishment. Like Hollywood. she has to be taken down. You know, it's like that trope from comedies, mm-hmm. right? Where you have you have the female um, lead who's like hilarious and beautiful, but she wears glasses. You know, and then you you know she needs to like get beat up or whatever. And there's a lot of physical comedy often involved. It felt like this was mm. that. I think it's I think it's directly biblical punishment for having killed for a having person. killed someone. Yeah, yeah. As smite, like in the, smite by smite. Yeah, in the in the opening narration of the movie, she says herself, "You must pay for everything in this world, one way or another. There is nothing free but for the grace of God." Mm. And I think like the the fact that she decides to actually care, go through with the vengeance as opposed to you know, apprehending him and allowing him to be hanged in a court of law or whatever, um, like puts her in a more morally compromised world and like the punishment for it is immediately swift, which is like a theme the Coen brothers enjoy. Mm. Oh, and that's why she lost her arm as well. It's why she lost her arm. It's why Blackie has to die. Like all of the mm-hmm. denouement of the film is like the punishment for um, for having chosen uh eye for an eye justice oh yeah Uh, and like you know and like not to like kind of fast forward to the very end but like yeah you know like she ends up becoming like you know not only you know it's fine she chose not to marry or whatever but like you know she she seems to have like kind of 
been made cold or something like you know something there's 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 not a lot of warmth in latter day um maddie's uh life and you know she in the movies ends sort of with just like her walking off yeah her walking off a graveyard i mean like it's a it's a downer it's a downbeat ending (laughs) yeah she does have a lot of uh even though she has a lot of seriousness early in the film she has a lot of joy as well and and Mm -hmm. can be really spirited and you're right. It definitely is blunted. Yeah. And I think, I think that was this journey into this, you know, hellacious, like this kind of demi world where there is no law, like the grace of God is hard to find. And, you know, she chose this adventure, um, thinking it was an adventure, thinking she's going to read ghost stories by the campfire. And it quickly, you know, she gets splattered by blood and by as a guy gets stabbed in the chest, like in a cabin mm-hmm. and like, you know, all these horrible things happen. Um, and I think that probably, you know, affected her for the rest of her life. Yeah. Well, she told Rooster um, in the courthouse when he asked her about the gun, she said, I, I'm going to kill him if no one else will. Mm-hmm. I guess I just sort of looked at it as being self-defense. No, but she was on a hunt. She was out there. She was out there to go get him. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's like, I think it's like sort of like all, you know, I think there's an interesting, one of the interesting changes in the movie is from the book or from the first movie um, that I, I read was, uh Labeef's fate in the movie in the John Wayne movie he dies um mm-hmm. and it's kind of pretty it's not hard to imagine that he dies out there waiting for Definitely. help to come as he's been concussed and like you know half bitten mm. his tongue off and all this other stuff uh and so there is just in general i mean you know Cockburn himself has paid a price over and over again for the you know amoral life he's chosen to live uh and so i think that's just sort of thematically what fate has in store for the folks who choose to exist in this this demi world beyond God's grace. So it was a it was a choice then that the Cohen brothers made specifically to spare the the beef. The beef. Yeah, or to like not to be to make it to make it ambiguous. Like we don't we don't we don't see him die. So we we can assume he lives. And she doesn't know what happens. You know, she says she doesn't know what happens to him. Yeah. Mm. Dang. So interesting. It does it does really remind me of of No Country. Yeah. Like, you know, No Country for Old Men, God, which is just Yeah. One I think honestly one of the greatest films of yeah. of all time. And that the last shot of that film when he comes out and he wipes his feet mm-hmm. and just like those tidy mm-hmm. moments that, yeah. that reveal oh so yeah. much. Yeah. They're just such masters. That's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. It's it's a great movie. Anybody who hasn't listened to our episode on No Country for Old Men of Dune Pod, I'll provide another link to it. One of our best episodes and absolutely a phenomenal movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. The better the movie, the better the episode of Dune Pod. <laughs> or the worse. Yeah. You need to, it's either got to be a really bad movie or a really good movie. There you go. Um, all right. Any, anything else uh, that we want to call out? I think we've, we basically have hit the ending um, really well. I think you, Matt, you said you didn't, you said you thought this movie was more uneven. I feel like your, mm-hmm. I think your participation in this podcast suggests that you like this movie. Why are you a liar to me in DMs? No, I definitely, I enjoyed it, but I would say this is probably for me, this is like a, th- three and a half star or a four star movie uh, versus like Lebowski or no country or like unambiguous five bangers, like amazing movies. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So for me, part of Joel's performance, like this was the first performance of his that I saw that I was like, mm, that was a little, it was just weird. Um, and it didn't quite work for me. Um, 
And then this finale, exactly as you've said, Mercy, is just like too in- a little too intense, all the way down in hell, looking up at the mm-hmm. the light up above. You know, it's just a little. It was a little too heightened. Um, but now that you've laid it out, Jason, in the way that you did, and tied it back to the literal intro uh, lines of dialogue, it it makes a lot more sense for me now. So mm. maybe I land at four stars. You can see why they did it. I also agree. It's 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 not. I don't think a top five Coen Brothers movie i i doubt that would be the case for anyone i mean the coen brothers themselves i feel like are they're just you know better than many other filmmakers mm. um but but it's just it's not the best i would say it is uneven i i remember watching it and one of actually one of the things that causes me to walk out of a movie is narration if there's oh, yeah. a narrator yeah. at the start Voice of the movie yeah, yeah it is usually it's usually a really bad sign like a really, uh, bad, a really sign. bad sign uh-huh. um because it's just a classic i mean you can even just do it in post like lazy trope like oh this didn't work <laughs> you know like let's stitch it together um and so i did like that it was really just a bookend of her her voice as a young woman and then her voice as an adult and and pairing those together but mm. i just you know i feel like there was so much more about that character that could have been fleshed out. She remained kind of this Western trope. So I should not add my own voiceover narration to the beginning of this Dune Pod episode. Uh, well, kind of now up. you have to. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mercy, who would Tilda Swinton play mm. if you were recasting one role in True Grit? Who would Tilda Swinton play? I mean... Many good options for this one. God, so many. I mean, my initial instinct is just Rooster. Because, mm. I mean, mm. Tilda in an eye patch with a drinking problem. Like, I would watch <laughs> yeah. a whole movie about that character. How incredible. Strong. I like it. Love it. I like it. Jason. I would go Ned Pepper. I'd like to yeah. see her. I'd like to see her as Ned Pepper. Uh, yeah. I think the other Barry Pepper was great. I would just, I think, you know, I think she could do something fun as a, as a, a gang leader. Yeah, I think I, so then I'll go with a small role and put her in as the colonel doing the negotiating. Mm. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Do, doing the horse and pony trading. Uh, that would be awesome. She can do anything. She can do anything. A lot of choices in this one. She could play the kid. I know. I was thinking that would be the other funny thing is like Maddie Rose with the, like or Ross with no acknowledgement of the age difference whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The kid, she's the voice of, um, the kid is the voice of Gwen Stacy in uh, Inside the Spider-Verse movie that's one of her other credits Haley stanfield f- Haley stanfield did, yeah she uh, also pl- she was also in bumblebee which i didn't see that was the transformers movie that was supposed to be good i don't believe i don't believe that uh i also quite enjoy her pop music career yeah she's got she does songs oh really gotta say she has some bangers yeah oh wow i don't i'm not familiar with her music um she's also in she's also the young hawkeye in the hawkeye tv show really um which is coming out and that is based on one of the greatest comic book runs of the 21st century matt fractions hawkeye uh matt fraction and david aha um which is highly recommended there will be a link in the show notes to check that out oh great i've not read that All right, let us get into letters. Letters. I have a couple of letters and then just a couple of voicemails. So the first one, I missed this last week from Pat Lusk. Uh, so he, we have a tenant-focused uh, one. Uh, we have Sritadop Potatiers. That's a palindrome. Thanks for another terrific episode with excellent insights from the industry. I hope Tim will be able to join again to offer his insider perspective. I quite enjoyed Tenet, and as usual, found myself agreeing with nearly all your takes. Did you walk out of Tenet? No, absolutely not. 
also, okay. I would have had to leave my house to, to do so, but yeah, I did okay. watch it with the subtitles <laughs> walked, on. I walked into the kitchen. I love Christopher Nolan. <laughs> you, you gotta, gotta have, subtitles. have subtitles on. Yeah. Okay, very good. Um, we have MG coming on in two weeks for Interstellar. So finally, you oh, know, that's great. It'll, it'll be interstellarcrying.gif. I'm excited. I haven't watched that. I've only watched that one once. I'm excited to see it again. Same. <gasps> Ooh, it's very good on rewatch. Come on, Tars. <laughs> uh, probably the biggest area of divergence for me was John David Washington's performance. It reminded me of, Ke- of Keanu's Neo from the first Matrix film where the hero spent much of the movie in a state of near befuddlement, but Reeves was able to pull that off a lot more successfully than Washington. Hmm. I've never heard anyone refer to Keanu as Reeves before. I've exclusively Jeez. only heard Keanu, but... Um, True. Yeah. With that nitpick out of the way, I thought the rest of the cast was truly outstanding, starting with the career best performance from our Pats. I thought he was nicely weathered in this film. Yes, that was my take. It was. I'm glad to have support. I it's don't. Incorrect, I don't agree with the Washington take, I, but I do. I appreciate the support on this point. <laughs> Did you see Good Time? No, I still haven't seen. I still haven't seen. That. No, I, I haven't seen it. Good Time is excellent, and uh, I forget what the other one was that we. Uh, the Lighthouse. The Lighthouse. Oh, light- the weird black and white movie. <laughs> oh yeah, I haven't worked myself up to the Lighthouse yet either. I don't even know what that's about. Great date movie. Not. I'm not uh, sure anyone. <laughs> yeah. That's an amazing movie. Um, absolutely does, incredible. Does someone say. get turned into a walrus in that one too? You just got to no? no. Uh, I mean, a lot of weird shit happens, but it's really, right. really well done and really famous. Uh, really funny. and It's really famous. famous. <laughs> it's really famous. It's really famous. <laughs> um, I could go on much too long with the thoughts, but I'll confine myself to a few comments. These are more comments. All right. I'm going to put a 90-second uh, limit on emails, please. Um <laughs> We love hearing your thoughts. I just, I can't read it all. They immediately twigged to the fact that the protagonist was fighting himself in the Freeport. Um, that's right. They would cast Tilda Swinton as Dr. Expository. Good idea. Priya was well-conceived, and they were glad they gave her a bigger role. The airplane crash, crash in Oslo reminded me of nothing but the slow-motion plane crash in the comedy classic Airplane. Did anybody else get those vibes? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's what uh, I thought of as well. That is awesome. Uh, excited to hear Blue Velvet, which is coming, um, and was less excited about Lebowski. I'm sorry, uh, Pat, that you didn't like Lebowski. Wow. P.S. P.S. Michael will throw me out of the club if I don't mention this. It's ASA Podcasting for A Skyrim Addict Podcasting. That was the podcasting crew uh, that these guys ran in. Oh, great. Pat, thank you for your email. We appreciate it so much. Thank you for... Thank you for your thoughts. That's a great email. Next up, we have Sophia Jones writing back in. Sophia says, hey, guys, it's Sophia. Guess what? I'm behind on the pod again. I've been busy, but I just got a chance to listen to your Lost Highway episode. I really enjoyed it. I'm steadily becoming more of a David Lynch fan over time, and I'm currently taking his master class. Mercy, are you taking any master classes, or have you? I have, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm friends with uh, the founder of Masterclass. Incredible company. Oh, cool. What was your favorite masterclass that you've taken? Uh, I'm a lifelong fan of Chris Voss, the, mm, the artist with the difference negotiation. Oh, oh, oh yeah, guy okay. who's the the former uh, head of uh, hostage negotiation for the FBI. Yes, interesting. Yeah, he's he's incredible. I think April read that book. Um, it's, it's so good. The Shonda yeah. Rhimes one too. All of the writing ones are are fantastic, um, especially you know in in our uh, day jobs as as PMs. If you're a mm-hmm. great writer. You can really change minds, move mountains, convince engineers to do pretty much anything. It's fantastic. 
Nice, nice, mm. excellent. Uh, so far, the only movie I've seen of Lynch's is Dune, which meant it was really nice to hear about one of his other films. Like you guys were saying about the opening scene of Lost Highway, it seems like Lynch loves to base scenes on random things that have happened to him. I believe there's one in Blue Velvet, too. Hearing about the way he creates his art is wild. Anyway, just wanted to write again and let you guys know I was still listening and keep up with the pod. Thanks, Sophia. That's awesome. It's great to hear again from Sophia. Yeah, I love it. Sophia, keep writing. P.S., I went the whole episode not knowing you had the author of I Am Not Okay With This on with you, and I am a huge fan of the Netflix show. Oh, great. I was really sad it didn't get a second season, but I'm still periodically rewatching the first one. It was an awesome surprise to know I had been listening to the author the entire episode. That is, of course, referring to Charles Foreman, a.k.a. Chuck from Bat and Spider, who was on the pod with us. Um, he did both I Am Not Okay With This as well as The End of the Fucking World on Netflix, which are both incredible shows that people should definitely check out. Mm-hmm. Nice. Thank you, Sophia. That's great. It's nice to hear from her again. Yes. Last letter is from Bryce Kelly. Oh, that's great. From Singapore. Lion City. So this story was initially told to me by a roommate from 2001 whose dad was in Hollywood. He directed a lot of movies, but most notably, he directed the Cheech and Chong movie no one ever saw called Yellowbeard, which I saw with my mom, (laughs) and features bare breasts. (laughs) Nick stated way back when that Walter was based off his his neighbor in L.A., Westwood, who was friends with the Coen brothers. After the movie became a cult classic, Walter was identified to be inspired by a few different folks the Coen brothers knew, but this one's name is John Milius. Oh, Mm. he was also the basis of Big John in American Graffiti, and John Milius himself was a big Hollywood dude. Yeah, Hmm. Yeah. John Milius. Of course. Oh, yeah, well, he directed Conan the Barbarian. He wrote wrote Apocalypse Now. Yeah, exactly. John Milius was either director or writer somehow involved with notable Hollywood movies like Dirty Harry, Conan the Barbarian, and Red Dawn. Love it. Basically all movies you'd imagine Walter making. Notably, Mm. he was a total gun nut and B, not a Vietnam vet. He volunteered but had asthma. (laughs) Anyway, that kind of sets up that maybe the connection between the dude and Walter's actually the Coen brothers in terms of people they enjoy being around. That's great. Aw, hi, WYSIWYG. Here's WYSIWYG. (laughs) Hi, puppy. Bryce Kelly, that was amazing. Thank you for for the information. Um, I will say there is a documentary. I believe it is called Milius, and I will provide links to that in the show notes. I have not watched it yet, but it's supposed to be very good. All right, here we go. Voicemails, very briefly. Doompot, this is Court. I'm so late in calling. I apologize. Uh, Everything just got away from me. I'm probably even too late to get on the episode, but I'll leave a little message anyway. Uh, Calling about True Grit which uh, is an amazing Coen Brothers movie. I really even like it better than the original, um, probably because I'm more of a punk kid who subscribes to the Repo Man philosophy behind John Wayne, but yeah. that's a whole other story. Uh, but anyway, yeah, this is a great film, and, oh, gosh, I'm just out of sorts. I can't wait to hear you guys talk about it. Um, I had a whole thing about Westerns and blah, 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 and I just totally dropped the ball. Oh, well. I'll do better next time. <laughs> Don't beat yourself up, Corey. You're the best thing on this podcast every week, even when it's even when it's not your best effort. You're you're a star. 
I, I just want to say, like, be like Corey. Send multiple voicemail. Like, keep like making improved versions of your voicemail, yeah. and we'll just put the final one on there, and no one will know. Corey, that was beautiful. Take seventeen. There's another thirteen takes of this. We're going to play right now. We love you. We love you, Corey. That is it for our listener feedback. Thank you. You can reach us anytime. Letters at DunePod.com, and you can just attach a voice memo on there um, and hear your own voice on the air. Mercy, what do you have to plug? What are you excited about? What's going on? I don't have anything to plug. Get vaccines. Be nice to one another. That's great. Those are good things to plug. How about your appearance on the Hashtag Angels podcast produced by H Industries? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I will be appearing on Hashtag Angels later. Excellent. I thought you said said her parents were going to be on the Angels podcast, and I was confused. But now I get it. it That would make less sense. Yeah. 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 That's great. I mean, I don't know. I don't know who her parents are. They, they might. They might also be guests on the Angels podcast. They can come on this podcast. Um, <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mercy. That was really fun. Oh, thank you guys. This is great. Thank you so much, Mercy. We will be getting back together with Mercy for a live stream of the Dune Imperium RPG from Modiphius. Mm, yes. So stay tuned for that. Coming soon. And that's it for this episode of Dune Pod. I want to thank Jason and Mercy for a really great conversation. Next week, Boom, the most popular host of the hit new podcast, Synonauts, joins us to talk Zendaya in Malcolm and Marie, streaming on Netflix now. If you're enjoying this podcast, follow us at Dune Pod on Instagram and Twitter and share our social media posts as it really helps new listeners find the show. DunePod is a production of H Industries. Our artwork is by Catcher, and our theme music was composed by Toby Forsman of Whipsong Music. The episode was produced and edited by me, H. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody next week.